0: Now this is recording.
1: RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Hello and welcome to Just Science, a podcast for criminal justice professionals and anyone interested in learning more about forensic science, innovative technology, current research, and actionable strategies to improve the criminal justice system. I'm your host, Dr. Patty Melton, with the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence, a program funded by the National Institute of Justice. This week on Just Science, we are publishing a special release episode in honor of Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Social distancing, shelter in place, and other responses to COVID-19 can create a stressful environment for survivors of sexual assault, especially if they feel they cannot access resources or physically unable to seek help. In addition, highly stressful situations that result from significant amounts of change, such as unemployment, disruption in normal day-to-day activities, and social isolation may increase the risk of domestic violence and sexual assault. In this podcast, we will discuss what services are available to survivors of sexual assault, including leveraging online platforms and modified strategies for first responders, rape crisis centers, and victim advocate. We will also discuss how we as a friend, family member, and community can be prepared to respond to a victim of sexual assault in this challenging time. To help us discuss these topics today is my guest, Ms. Maria Simmons, the founder and CEO of Shift in Notion Consulting. Maria is a nationally recognized victim advocate and trainer who specializes in the formation of multidisciplinary teams or sexual assault response teams, and assisting agencies with developing policies and practices for an improved response to sexual assault. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Patty, for having me. I'm very honored to be here with you today. Before founding your own consulting company, you held several positions and activities supporting survivors of sexual assault, including being the Victim Witness Unit Supervisor at the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office. Can you explain to our listeners the importance of the victim advocacy role?
0: Yes. Before starting my consulting business, I was a chemical dependency counselor where I worked with women in a residential treatment facility who had a chemical dependency diagnosis or mental health concern. I then began working at my local red crisis center and supported survivors of sexual assault throughout the judicial system process before moving into my role as supervisor within the victim witness unit at the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office. In that position as supervisor, I was dedicated to ensuring a consistent and effective process for supporting survivors of sexual assault and all victims of crime using a trauma-responsive approach amongst all prosecutors and victim advocates. Working in all of these capacities, I understood the importance of victim advocacy as being a critical component in ensuring that victims receive optimal support throughout every stage of their engagement, whether they go through the criminal justice system or not. Victim advocates not only provide support to victims, but they are also liaisons between victims, law enforcement, prosecutors, and other professionals who engage with them. Victim advocates also maintain communication and follow up with victims. They're able to keep them informed about the status of their case, support them throughout statements with law enforcement, at meetings with prosecutors, and even in court. They also play a pivotal role in ensuring that their rights are not violated, that they're a voice for a victim, that they link them to necessary community resources, such as counseling, and addressing their immediate needs so that they are able to better engage in their case.
1: Would you share with us the moment that you realized you wanted to work as an advocate in the criminal justice system, or has that always been your passion?
0: It's always been my passion to help others. The moment I realized I wanted to be a victim advocate was while I was working as a chemical dependency counselor. And in that capacity, I testified on behalf of women who had successfully completed treatment and the transitional housing program. They've obtained employment, housing, and they were now requesting to reunify with their children who were in a system due to their dependency. The most powerful piece of my advocacy in the courtroom was that I was the mother's voice. I educated the courts on why they may not have been compliant uh, with their social work case plans due to their addiction. And I was allowed to have the court see that although those individuals may have had an addiction and they may not have made good choices all the time, that they were now sober, self-sufficient, and ready to have a, a productive life and a healthy lifestyle for them and their children. So as I was working through the court systems, I saw that there were gaps. Um, I saw that women did not have inclusion or an impactful voice in their cases. Uh, that's what really motivated me to change my degree from social work to criminal justice without hesitation, and i remain passionate and dedicated in every aspect of this work.
1: Maria, in discussions focused around an improved response to sexual assault by the criminal justice system, we often hear terms such as multidisciplinary team being trauma-informed or victim-centered. What do these terms mean to you as a victim advocate? Let's let's start with multidisciplinary team.
0: In my profession of working as a victim advocate, I'm a multidisciplinary team in this capacity is a team of professionals from different disciplines who collaborate and work towards a common goal. And that common goal is, is supporting survivors of sexual assault in the most efficient and impactful way possible. The RMDTs are made up of law enforcement, victim advocates, prosecutors, medical professionals, counselors, and other community agencies uh, working together in order to streamline support and services for survivors. I know that one of the challenges in working with MDTs is strengthening those relationships because they all have unique roles, but they also play a very important role in sustaining the same thought process in the work that we do. So being trauma-informed begins with understanding the the physical, social, and emotional impact of trauma on an individual, and for everyone to have that collective thought process is very paramount in supporting survivors.
1: And what about, you know, trauma-informed and victim-centered? Are those really two similar terms, or do they mean something very different to you?
0: I believe they intertwine. I believe that being trauma-informed begins with an understanding of the physical, social, and emotional impact of how trauma affects individuals. It's realizing the prevalence of trauma, recognizing how trauma affects those individuals, and responding by putting that knowledge into practice when engaging with victims. Being victim-centered acknowledges and recognizes that justice exists when victims are listened to and respected. Victims are never responsible for their crimes, so incorporating empathy and dignity are critical in providing effective support. Showing respect and facilitating empathy while influencing a victim's dignity can drastically change how you engage with victims and how victims will engage with you.
1: Sometimes in the criminal justice system, the term victim is used, and sometimes the term survivor is used. Can you talk about these two terms and and why there are two different terms? I
0: often interchange the terms uh, because I work both as a systems-based victim advocate as well as a community-based victim advocate. As a community-based victim advocate, we use the term survivor, and that's the most commonly used among community-based agencies that support survivors of sexual assault. Uh, However, in my role as a system-based advocate, where I worked within the prosecutor's office, I collaborated with prosecutors to support victims throughout their cases. So the term victim is commonly used amongst law enforcement and prosecutors on cases. Both roles are unique in how they support victims, assistance-based and community-based advocates. They have a vital component in supporting victims, especially when they collaborate together. Because they do have very unique roles, they also are able to provide individualized support uh, depending on the victim's choices they are comfortable working with. An example of the different terminology is where a medical professional or a staying nurse may see a victim of sexual assault within a hospital, and they would identify them as a patient. So all of the terms are reflective of the professionals who engage with them, and they are in no means to minimize or offend survivors.
1: What are the common hurdles for supporting survivors of sexual assault before COVID-19?
0: I believe that some of the common hurdles uh, would be equitable access to services, depending on the jurisdiction. Having accessibility to advocacy agencies and counseling, medical services, victims may be hesitant to go into police departments to make reports, but if they have the support that's necessary from the beginning, we can continue to educate and promote the awareness within their communities about the support that is available to try to get more victims to come forward uh, to make reports. Uh, Additionally, our collaboration with their communities, as I spoke about earlier, multidisciplinary teams provided abundance of support to victims by practicing within a common model of approaches. I think that strengthening the collaboration within uh, MDT members and for them to all understand each other's individual roles and the uniqueness of how they can best work together to be able to support survivors is a challenge, but it also can be resolved by really working together in going over case plans and talking about some of the challenges that they may be experiencing individually and how they can work together as a team. Funding is also a concern, having the appropriate funding resources to support rape crisis centers and other agencies that support survivors of sexual assault, in addition to dual agencies that support both domestic violence and sexual assault survivors.
1: And these challenges that you just mentioned, these are still present during this pandemic, correct? Yes. Given that, what are the new challenges that have arisen because of the COVID-19 pandemic?
0: So having access um, may be more of a challenge right now, more than ever before. Um, As we're practicing social distancing during this pandemic, victims may be fearful or reluctant to go to a hospital for a medical examination. Some hospitals may have restrictions on who they're allowing in right now from victims coming in as well as victim advocates. Who once were able to freely go into the hospital and support victims of sexual assault during their examination, provide them with resources, um, and really just be able to process how that victim is feeling to ensure advocacy after they've left. So that's a hurdle um, that's now existent with the pandemic. Reporting to law enforcement agencies may have decreased right now as well due to the challenges with the traditional face-to-face methods. That may increase in reporting community-based uh, advocacy agencies depending on their jurisdiction. So, the accessibility of victims going into law enforcement agencies to make reports, they may not have that ability now or they may not have the ability before and our strength of going forward to disclose what happened to them. So, with that being said, moving forward, I think that we have to be cognizant of safety planning. What I've realized in working with the victims that I've worked with recently, Is that due to the pandemic, their mental health and triggers and trauma has been exasperated due to the isolation that they are experiencing, causing barriers in their ability to have privacy or even leave the situation that they're in. We also know that meeting individual needs, especially right now, is critical, as I had stated earlier, because victims are very vulnerable. They're in a very vulnerable position right now, and they may even still be in the household with the perpetrator. So, safety planning is definitely something that we all need to try to work through and ensure that we are not uh, re-victimizing or causing any further conflict within their situation. And I think that first responders who are responding to victims of uh, sexual assault, they are pivotal in ensuring that the victim's experiences when they're disclosing that their needs are matched, that they're supported, that we are influencing trauma-informed approaches when we're talking with them while still ensuring that their safety is intact.
1: What advice do you suggest for survivors of sexual assault as we undergo this community response to the COVID-19 pandemic?
0: I would suggest to to let them know that there is still support, that they don't have to live in silence. There are trained professionals who are available to speak with them and are, are ready to help them, link them to resources and give them the resources that they need within their jurisdiction. I would call the local rape crisis center hotlines and speak with a victim advocate who can help them process their feelings, answer their questions. Uh, Many hotlines offer the ability for survivors to chat online or use their cell phone to text if they're not comfortable with speaking over the phone. These services can provide victims with information on where to go for medical examinations or other related health concerns within their jurisdiction. Many counselors and therapists may offer telehealth services, web-based sessions in order to help uh, victims process and continue to get the support that they need. And I've also heard that within this transition that we're going through, that some jurisdictions have the ability for law enforcement to do virtual interviews as well. So if they have the capacity to be able to do that, that's another option for them. But know that they don't have to sit in silence, that there is help available still today.
1: We've been talking a lot about the support available to survivors of sexual assault. And I don't know if we've truly distinguished between survivors of sexual assault whose assault may have occurred before the COVID-19 pandemic and to survivors of sexual assault who are assaulted during this pandemic. How can we support those who are assaulted underneath this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, right now in real time?
0: I think it's important and critical for us to facilitate, as we were talking about being trauma-informed and victim-centered, we have to facilitate those types of practices. How we as professionals respond to victims with sexual assault and dictate if they will continue to engage in the process. Um, and as I stated before, know that they're not alone, that there is help, and that we are working hard to ensure that they get the help that they need. Law enforcement agencies and advocacy agencies are available to speak with you, to answer your questions. And so being able to provide those resources in a manner, um, again, considering confidentiality and safety is a way for victims to to feel more comfortable being able to come forward um, and disclose what happened to them.
1: I think you've touched on this already a little bit, Maria, but I'd like us to go a little bit deeper into this particular topic what are some of the paths forward or new approaches that rape crisis centers or victim advocacy centers are taking during this pandemic?
0: So I in Cuyahoga County, our advocacy agency, the Cleveland Rape Crisis Center, they have victim advocates that are working remotely to respond to victims. They also have advocates embedded within the city of Cleveland Police Department to assist with supporting survivors of sexual assault but also being able to really just implement some new strategies on how to reach victims. And that's the, the televirtual responses to victims um, and being able to give those chat options to victims instead of calling into hotlines, being able to have real-time responses to victims as well. Those are some of the strategies that we're putting into place um, that I'm aware of, but also just trying to also do the community outreach. Some agencies are putting out information into non-traditional spaces such as grocery stores or gas stations to be able to let survivors know in those common places where they are able to go right now that there is help available for them.
1: So these strategies or resources might be different among different communities. So where do you suggest that a survivor should start?
0: I would start by contacting their local rape crisis center hotline in their jurisdiction, or even the National Sexual Assault uh, Hotline RAIN to locate their their nearest center. They're there to ensure that uh, survivors are connected to the appropriate resources and local agencies that can continue to provide support during and after this pandemic. I believe that everyone that is working in this field, everyone that's working in this profession is dedicated to doing whatever strategies and methods that they can to be able to continue to support survivors and give them a safe space for them to disclose and receive the support that they need moving forward.
1: Maria, what do you think are some of the next steps that we as a community might be taking to further support survivors of sexual assault? to continue in this mission,
0: to envision a new way of supporting victims and continue to transform our approaches and providing inclusion and equity within our communities. I think that we have the ability to be able to strategize new ideas and ways to make it more accessible for victims to come forward. The traditional ways of coming into law enforcement departments or social service agencies to disclose abuse or assault um, are, are now being thought of how we can best meet that victim where they are. And having these, uh, these new technologies and these strategies for victims gives them other alternatives. It, it gives them more empowerment. It gives them a, a way of not feeling that angst of having to to make a report, but knowing, hey, there's a victim advocate that's sitting right here in the, in the police department to support you through your statement, to be able to give you the resources that you need, to be able to work with all of the professionals that are working on their case and seeing that there are a team of people behind you that you don't have to go through this alone. And just having the the unified collaboration as a whole on this national level to be able to do this work instead of working in silos, I think is very important.
1: Do you foresee long-term changes to supporting survivors of sexual assault based on these experiences and new approaches that are taking place during the COVID-19 pandemic? I
0: foresee long-term changes in almost every aspect of our life right now. I believe that it will be hard to go back to what we want to know as normal. We have to shift how survivors of sexual assault are supported after disclosure and the methods that we have in place thus far. Virtual interviews and uh, telehealth services are ways that we can use that do not alter or hinder the process to possibly increase reporting and willingness to participate in health services as well as participation within law enforcement and the criminal justice system if that's what a survivor chooses to do. Survivors having a way to access these support. uh, supportive networks can reduce the anxiety, as I was saying, because it's more of a streamlined process. They, they don't have to question or be uncertain about what the next steps are the advocates that are working with them can help them with each step of the process. And they can process how that victim is feeling and identify and assess the mental health concerns or the, the level of trauma that a victim is experiencing in order to work with their MDTs to be more efficient in supporting victims that have been sexually assaulted.
1: Is there any action that we as a community or a friend, as a neighbor, or a family member can take now to support survivors of sexual assault during these unprecedented times?
0: Absolutely. Victims of sexual assault may disclose to family members or friends before reporting to law enforcement. And our response to that disclosure should be one of support, should be one of empathy. And we start by believing. Although we are practicing social distancing, this is an opportunity to really pay attention to each other, to talk to each other. Disclosures may come about after an assault. And it's important for us not to judge or to ask why they haven't told anyone. But start by supporting their decision of coming forward to tell you now. Local agencies, advocacy agencies, law enforcement, prosecutor's office, and other community agencies are collaborating, again, with non-traditional business approaches on being able to support uh, survivors. So updating their websites to provide information on their responses to supporting survivors throughout the pandemic which provide contact information for local and national resources is another alternative for us to be able to implement for victims who may just go on the internet or websites to try to find information and letting them know what access they have and what resources are available is important as well. And just for agencies to take their literature into non-traditional places, as I talked about, the gas stations, the grocery stores, even pharmacies, posting on your social media pages about available resources and continuing to spread the word I think is important for us to be able to promote out into our community. But just knowing that because of the isolation, victims may not have those resources. And so we have to be able to try to use more technology to be able to reach them because that's what everyone's using these days.
1: Maria, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners or anything that we haven't touched upon?
0: I think the golden nugget that I have for today um, with this topic, because it is so important in in light of Sexual Assault Awareness Month, but I think that this is a practice that needs to be continued throughout every month, every day in the work that we do, that we have to be diligent. We have to be progressive and proactive in how we move forward. This pandemic gives us an opportunity to strive for change, envision new possibilities, and transform how we support victims of sexual assault. I think that we found a new ground for ways to provide equitable access for survivors and as a collective voice, we can promote inclusion and resiliency. So as we continue to expand our methods in supporting survivors, I also encourage everyone to take care of yourself because we have a lot of work to do. And so I think that we are in a very vulnerable position as well because we're trying to grasp all avenues that we can in order to make this a more efficient process and how we can improve the process. And this really gives us some groundwork on how we can make that happen with our voices being heard and requesting funding for programs and really just trying to find alternative ways for victims to come forward and support them.
1: Maria, it's possible that our listeners may have some specific questions based on the discussion today. Are you open to having our listeners reach out to you directly?
0: Absolutely. Um, I welcome the opportunity to answer questions or concerns or even try to provide additional resources for you if you have um, any questions or concerns moving forward
1: for our listeners we will have maria's uh, contact information on the landing page for this episode i'd like to thank our guest today maria simmons for sitting down with just science to discuss the impact covid 19 is having on supporting victims of sexual assault thank you so much maria
0: thank you for the opportunity to join this conversation today
1: if you or someone you know is in need of emotional support advice or crisis intervention, Please contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE or 800-656-4673 or visit www.rain.org, the Rape, Abuse & Incest National Network, for advocacy support online. For additional resources, please go to the National Institute of Justice Forensic Technology Center of Excellence at forensiccoe.org and also at the Bureau of Justice Assistance's National Sexual Assault Kit Initiative website at saci.tta.org Stay tuned next week as Just Science returns to its regular schedule of interviews. I'm Patty Mountain, and this has been another episode of Just Science. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.